Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name's Oscar. My name's David. And this week, lots of things happening. Change the format a little bit because of the mini bye week, I guess is what we're calling it. So it's going to be an all preview episode this week. We're going to be previewing the Buffalo Bills, not your father's Buffalo Bills, because uh, these ones are actually pretty good. Uh, and they of circle course, wagons, though. That's really uh, what we You know need what? Know. They might indeed circle wagons. And that's uh, if your dad also was a main character in the Oregon Trail, uh, also might be his Buffalo Bills. Uh, but we'll talk definitely about a lot of news coming out of 49er land with Colin Wait, Kaepernick. News? Are you sure? Uh, yeah, a little bit. We're going to get to that in the rundown. Happen. I, I uh, think I missed that. But first, I want to give a shout out to all of those amazing fans risking their lives right this second listening to this podcast on the Samsung Galaxy 7. Thank you for risking your life. I appreciate the sacrifice. I'm going to pour some out for you right now. You the real MVPs. That's right. You indeed the real MVPs. So let's get right into it. Let's get to the rundown. Colin Kaepernick officially named the starter for the Buffalo Bills game. It's, uh, it's about time. We talked about why we thought he should be the starter before the formal announcement last week. So if you want to hear our detailed thoughts, go into last week's episode and take a listen. It's the first part of the show. But the interesting thing is that today, just before the podcast, uh, Adam Schefter reported that Colin Kaepernick did indeed sign his restructured deal. And it's the final four years of his previous contract. No mas. Poof. Gone. Adios. Uh, and so this effectively becomes a one-year deal with a player option for 2017. Now, in 2017, there's going to be no salary guarantee. And there's some other triggers and bonuses in there, uh, like a bonus trigger to 50% playing time. And perhaps most importantly, the 49ers cannot use their franchise tag on Colin Kaepernick if the quarterback elects to become a free, se- a free agent after the season. So... I mean, really, I think that the translation of that in layman's terms is he gone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it, it certainly appears that way. I mean, I think the the last note there about not being able to use a franchise tag was really the most interesting thing that that came out today. Right. Because we obviously had heard this news that that this was reportedly going down and basically everything else that ended up happening in terms of the years getting wiped out, you know, how they were going to convert some of those roster bonuses to, to base salary um, the player option, like all of that was is kind of in those initial reports. Um, the franchise franchise tag thing really kind of just popped up today, or at least I didn't hear about that prior to today. So um, when you throw that in there, that's really just another thing that like basically he's not going to be back there unless he wants to be back there. The one thing I think the question I think that I asked over and over and over again is why would he sign this extension? What's in it for cap? Because if you think about playing under the status quo, you have a contract where your salary is guaranteed for injury. A couple things happen perhaps at the end of the, at, during the season, right? You're going to start. It was announced that you were the starter before you signed this deal. So if you play and you get hurt, salary is guaranteed, you're taken care of. If you play and you play you know, not well, the 49ers either end up cutting you or trading you. And if you play really well, then you're playing well in a system and you keep playing under your current contract and off you go. So, David, help me understand what incentive Colin Kaepernick really had on to sign this deal. 
I mean, I don't think there was was any incentive. I, I think it really comes down to a couple things. Um, at least if I'm trying to look at this from Kaepernick's perspective, right, and try to make sense of it in some way. Um, I think it's one, you look at, you know, a lot of the really the development that he's done personally, right? Like if, when it comes to off the field stuff and the ways that he's changed there. And it really seems like he isn't as concerned about like wasting time, even though he's going to be getting paid very well. If he, if he were to stick around and, and kind of live out as much of that contract as possible, um, you know, he's, it's very clearly a situation that he wants to separate himself from. And so he sees more value personally in, uh, you know, going elsewhere, somewhere where he might be, uh, you know, happier and in a better situation for him, even if that means taking some less money. And I think two, it, it's another bet on himself, right? There's if there's one thing that we can say pretty consistently about Colin Kaepernick, it's that he has uh, a lot of self confidence and and really has been willing to bet on him and his abilities uh, time after time. And so this is another situation where you know if he set himself up now with this contract to be able to move on very easily after this season, um, and if he you know he obviously like you mentioned did this knowing that he was already going to be the starter, um, and so to me that means that he's confident that he thinks he can go out there and play well and then turn this into another uh you know decent contract somewhere else you look at some of the the contracts that are being thrown out there to to guys that are probably worse players than Colin Kaepernick and you know it's easy to kind of think arrive at that uh conclusion that he can get something on the open market as long as he's not terrible um and so yeah I mean that's really the only things that I can kind of think of to to justify it from his perspective there so it's definitely, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's definitely him betting on himself and him saying, you know what, I can do this. And even if he ends up performing okay or so-so, he's, he can get Brock Osweiler money at this point. Um, and, and so off he goes. I think this is definitely, if, if you didn't, uh, if you weren't one of the few people who burned their Colin Kaepernick jerseys, uh, and I hope you're not listening because that's just ridiculous, uh, then really this is the last year to get used out of that Kaepernick jersey. Wear it every day. Wear it all day, every day. It's going to go right up on that shelf with my Jim Harbaugh t-shirt that I got, that <laughs> Nike t-shirt reducing drag. Yeah. Uh, it's going to uh, go right up there. You should just wear that, that all the time anyway. Jim Harbaugh's great. I do. It's my own silent form of protest. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I stick it to the man that way. Uh, but let's uh, really, in terms of big news, that's mostly it. Uh, and normally on regular weeks, what we do between the recap and the preview is we go through some NFL quick hits. So that's what we're going to do right now because the NFL is fun and we like talking about it. Uh, and we're going to do it quickly because there's six things we're going to get to. We're going to alternate between the two. First quick hit, Mr. David. Should the Cowboys turn the keys back over to Tony Romo once he gets healthier? Should they ride the Dak attack, go Dak to the future, insert <laughs> pun here, and, and ride that train all the way to the playoffs? So this is a really interesting question to me and maybe not like the best uh, thing for a quick hit because I think there's a lot of really interesting angles here and I nope, think you can make like a, a fairly convincing case from from each side of it. Um, I mean, if it were me, what I would probably do, I tend to kind of look more like it put more value on the long view of things and kind of what's best for the team long term rather than being what's best right now. Um, I think sticking with with Dak is probably the best move long term, right? You know that Romo, who hasn't been able to stay stay healthy for a while now and has had a lot of problems with injuries and has back injuries, right? Like that's not something that just kind of it's not a broken bone that heals and, and is back to normal and you don't really have to worry about it. Like this is something that he's going to deal with as long as he continues to play. 
Um, and so even though he might be, if he were fully healthy, the better option right now, um, I think the the drop off between him and Dak as they're playing right now isn't that much. And and by l- allowing him to kind of develop and not ruining his confidence and saying basically, hey, yeah, you played really well. Thanks for setting us up like this. Now go back to the bench. Um, you know, that's that can be kind of hard to, to deal with, I would imagine, as a player. So uh, I don't know. Personally, I would probably uh, keep things rolling with Dak, but uh, I, I can definitely see the argument either way. I think that you end up rolling with a, a Bill Walshian type Joe Montana, Steve Young system where you play one or the other, depending on matchup or just to get the max out of both and go from there. Um, I say that kind of facetiously, but I, I mean, I think the thing that the Cowboys are looking at right now is really do they want a quarterback that's better at the passing game or the deep passing game? Or do they want a, a quarterback that helps them with their run game? Because I think Dak with the read option is part of or with the zone read, I should say, is what is is what is making that run game work really, really well because they get a numbers advantage because Dak is somewhat of a threat to run. Try me with the zone read with Tony Romo. Pretend I'm going to respect that runoff. I mean, you're going to destroy him and then his back's going to go out again and then he might die. Absolutely. And so I think but but I do think that when you look at the numbers advantage, that's where you get you know, one-on-one matchups with five of the best offensive linemen in football against five defenders. And all of a sudden you've got Ezekiel Elliott running roughshod all over people. And, but, and he's good in, I think, short and intermediate passes, but he's not as good at the deep ball. Um, and he's not as good throwing it up to, to Des Bryant whenever he comes back. So I think at the end of the day, and this is why I kind of make the facetious argument that, you know what, if you're going up against someone who's really stout against the run, play Romo. And if you're going up against someone who's really good, at, you know, who's against the pass, then, then play Dak. And if you're facing the Minnesota Vikings, then you're probably going to lose anyway. So I think that's that's where you're at. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. But again, we I think we could spend probably like an entire episode talking about just yeah. not even that specific scenario, just that kind of scenario in general, I think is really kind of fascinating and having to make that decision. But uh, moving on to the next, hopefully quicker hit than that one. Um, what on earth do the Chargers do? Why does everyone hate them? Why <laughs> are, they, are they moving to Las Vegas? Like, why are they cursed? What's happening with the Chargers? I don't know that they're cursed. Um, I don't necessarily believe in curses. Hashtag labels out. But I, I do think something is definitely wrong with them. And at the very least, they're wasting Philip Rivers. So ultimately, I think... The consistent fourth quarter collapses are not, um, that's not a fluke. I think that's a pattern. And and I think it probably has to do with coaching more than anything else at some level. So I think that something is going on and they're wasting poor Philip Rivers because he is their Frank Gore, someone who is supremely talented and is getting wasted on a team where he's never going to see true success. And, And that's just damn sad. Um, so, yeah, I have no idea what's happening there. Don't believe they're cursed, but I believe something's going on on that coaching staff and they need to get something fixed because they could easily be. I mean, they could be five and oh. I mean, this I is a little... situation where we need to see like we just need to be able to like have the NFL be more like Major League Baseball and just uh, just trade, like be able to trade them easily. Right. Like trades never happen of any really any sort of significance. I mean, it's very rare. Um like just like get rid of Philip Rivers. Let him go somewhere. Let him go to a good team that 
doesn't have a great quarterback right now, kind of the one missing piece, and let him, like, let everybody be happy other than, you know, the remaining Chargers fans. So keeping on this whole what's happening with certain teams bit, our third quick hit is are the Falcons going to screw this up again? They are the paper tigers of the league every year, 12 and 4, 11, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden they're in the playoffs. They're, they're a team to beat. And then they choke because, you know, they come up against the buzzsaw Niners or whatever. But this team looks legit. But are they going to screw it up again? I mean, it's what they've done the last couple of weeks has been pretty impressive. Um, You know, I think beating up on defenses like, you know, put 48 points on Carolina and then, uh, you know, being able to go to Denver and win like that. Um, And I thought it was interesting that, you know, in that game, it wasn't a game where Julio Jones just went crazy, right? Like they've kind of shown an ability to do it in a few different ways. And and this one was really interesting in that they, you know, kind of moved Tevin Coleman around and, um, really took advantage of, you know, Denver's defense not being able to to cover kind of those matchups in the slot there because Denver does a lot of, you know, they, they play a lot of man coverage. They have great cornerbacks and they kind of just have those guys move around everywhere. Um, and, and so there's kind of some matchups to exploit there when you're when we're talking about some of their linebackers um, after the departures they had. So it was interesting to see Atlanta like be able to kind of a, adapt and, and come up with different game plans to to be successful offensively. I think the big thing is going to be whether their defense can hold up. Um, I think let's see where they're, they're at 26th right now. So first an offensive DVOA 26 on defense. I think if they start to sink much lower than that defensively, because they just don't have a lot of talent in that area, it's going to be hard for them to keep pace with this. Um, but if they can kind of, you know, not be the absolute worst defensively, um, I, I think they, they should definitely be able to make a playoff push. Now, before you get to the next quick hit, I, I do, you know that we love nicknames and just names in general here on the Better Rivals podcast, but um, Tevin Coleman reminds me of Tevin Campbell. Those of you who are about my age will remember that R&B sensation in the late 90s, uh, released an album, T-E-V-I-N, in November of 1991, uh, with the number one hit, Tell Me What You Want Me To Do. So nope. I, I think Tevin uh, Coleman's nickname should be Tevin, Tell Me What You Want Me To Do, Campbell. I think that's the move. <laughs> I think um, that's the way to go. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there that get that reference, and I am just not one of them. <laughs> um, all right. So so moving on to the next one. Uh, I think, you know, same question. We, I feel like we've had this nearly every week right now uh, with the Vikings. How are you feeling about the Vikings? Number one in uh, DVOA for the first time ever, which uh, ever in football outsiders land currently goes back to 1989. Um, Yeah, which is kind of weird because they're quarterback by Sam Bradford. That's exactly right. Sam, don't look me in the eye, Bradford, um, because he is cross-eyed as a mofo. He show is. (laughs) um, But it. so I I do think the Vikings are for real. I normally ask you this question, but I figured it would be a good place to put this question here because this is the first time ever, ever, in the history of DVOA, they've been charting it since 1989, that the Vikings are number one. Not even in 1998 were they number one, incidentally. Uh, Jets, Falcons, Broncos, 49ers all ranked above the Vikings that year with Randy Moss as a rookie. Uh, But I I do think the Vikings are legit. I think that their offense is catching up to their defense. Their defense is ridiculous, dude. Their defense is stupid good. They have, you know, probably a top 10 or 12 player at every level, at every position, uh, or not every position, but at every level of the defense. 
Um, and their defense is allowing their offense some time to get in rhythm, get caught up. And Sam Bradford is playing not, you know, lights out ball, but he's playing good enough ball that he is an above average starting quarterback. And that's all they need, really. So I definitely think the Vikings are legit. I think right now they are easily the number one team in the NFC. I just don't know if they are good enough to beat the top teams in the AFC. Yeah, I think uh, I'd probably still give that to Seattle right now. Um, But it's, I mean, again, those wins are banked, right? Like, so even if you don't think they're going to be quite as good going forward, right? If they're not going to be, you know, one of the two or maybe three best teams in the NFC going forward the rest of the season, like they have those wins already. They're there, right? Like they're not going to to lose those. So they're they're certainly going to be, uh, you know, almost certainly in the playoffs barring just a, a just crazy collapse. Um, and we've seen this formula work in, in terms of, uh, at the very least, regular season success, right? It's, there seems to be always one or two teams that are able to win, you know, uh, by kind of playing a very specific style of football. And this was what the, the 49ers did, like in 2011, right? They, they rode a, a very dominant defense, um, an offense that was able to do just enough by playing in some very, very advantageous situations set up by their defense and special teams. Um, and, you know, you just don't turn the ball over. You play very conservatively. You punt when you need to punt. Like, you do all those things. You just don't lose the game. And you kind of wait for other teams to make mistakes against your very good defense. And that can work. Like, that That can obviously lead. We see teams, again, year in, year out, like, do that to uh, a lot of success in the regular season. I don't know... I think you have to have a very special defense um, and I think you have to have, you know, better than average offense to really do that and win a Super Bowl like you did with with Denver. Right. Like they're de- I don't think their defense, the Vikings, that is, is as good as what we saw from Denver last year. Right. So I don't know. Uh, I, I, I definitely think they're good. I think their defense is very legit. Um, I'm not completely sold, though, because of their offense on them as like a Super Bowl contender quite yet. All right, second to last question before we talk about my favorite penalty rule. Uh, but true or false, now that the Browns are on like their fifth or sixth starting quarterback this year alone, uh, the Browns should just go to Terrell Pryor as their quarterback full-time. Terrell Pryor can do whatever he wants to. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm on board. True. Yep, I done. agree. All right, round it out. Bring it out with the, with, with the rules. Okay, so yeah, I, I'm really interested to see. So we said, we had this one on there, and I was looking at it before before the show, before we really talked about anything. And uh, so you have in here, a touchback when you fumble it out of the end zone is one of the worst rules in the game, uh, which... I believe that's true. Is, uh, I, I'm, very, I'm just going to kind of give you the floor here for a second. I'm interested to see where you're going with this. It's all right. Ladies and gentlemen, put some earmuffs on. We're about to get real. Uh, not really. It's a quick hit, so I'll make it quick. Uh, but that rule is dumb as shit. There is no, there is no other, there's no other time in football where if no one gains possession of a fumble, that it switches. In other words, if, if the offense fumbles anywhere else on the field and it goes out of bounds, all of a sudden the refs don't go, eh, you know what, we're going to give it to the other team. And that's exactly what happens when the ball goes out of the end zone. No one makes a clear recovery, right? Because remember, no one makes a clear recovery. So what it should be, right? And this happened with Matt Jones. It happened with C.J. Mosley in Baltimore. It happened in college, too, with Texas A&M. Luckily, Texas A&M ended up still winning that game uh, against Tennessee. But this is a rule where really what should happen is if no one recovers it out of the end zone, just move it back to the spot of the fumble, 
and let it stay with the offense. I don't think you should reward a defense for not recovering a fumble. That just seems weird. That, I that's mean, it. saying that it going out of bounds, like the end zone is a special place. That's like saying that you should get six points for crossing any one of the big white lines that go all the way across the field and not just the final one. Like, it's the end zone is different. It's different going out of bounds there. I don't well, know how you change. I don't know possession how you change that. Uh, that rule, like it, it clearly has to be something different than going out of bounds. Just like if it went out of bounds at the fifty, it's not the same thing. It's a possession, different though. situation. W- which was the last team to possess the ball? There you go. Even make it a penalty. Who knows? It'd be like you know, it's <laughs> like kicking it out of bounds. I don't. You're, you're like uh, okay. You just fumbled. You just made this mistake, and just because you happen to be really close to uh, you know the side of the field then you don't get penalized for it anyway. We're just going to give you a bag. Go ahead and run that back one more time. Just, just give another shot there. You'll get it next time. Yep. There are dumber, <laughs> there are dumber rules on the books right now. There are way dumber rules. Uh, but let's get into the Bills game preview. Uh, we'll talk about really the things that are, are important about the Bills team. We'll give you a quick overview of their season and their record so far. And then we'll talk about three things to watch throughout the game because this is going to be a very, very interesting matchup. I think before the season... If you were looking at, if you do that game that most fans do, where you go like win, loss, win, loss, 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 win, as many 49ers fans did, then you're going to look at this Bills game and say, you know what? The Bills could be one of those winnable games. And yet here we are at a team, the Bills, that are three and two. They're second in the AFC East behind the Patriots, a team that they won while it was a Jacoby Brissett led team. It was still a, a game that they won. They lost their first two games by six points each, but have turned it around and have won three three straight all by double digits. And they're now currently up to eighth in DVOA. Uh, And the last, of course, three wins have been after they fired Greg Roman, uh, which we didn't necessarily think was the right move. But you know what? They won three straight, so who knows? Uh, Overall, they are playing like a really, really good team. They're eighth overall in DVOA. They're overall a very balanced team, 12th in offense, 11th in defense, 12th in special teams. They're ranked ninth based on ESPN's football power index and sixth in SRS. David, explain to the folks what SRS is because, frankly, I don't know. Um, SRS is pro football references. Um, it's a simple rating system, so it's uh, it, it's kind of based on um, like point differential a lot, I think, and then they kind of adjust it for, for opponent. Um, but it is very, as the name implies, kind of simple compared to some of the other ones, but... Uh, again, kind of still something that's a, a better, I think, indication of team quality than looking at things like, I don't know, total yards or something like that. So basically, yeah, you look at any sort of um, more kind of advanced metric that's out there that that's commonly used um, and they're they're playing very well. They're playing like a top 10 team, at least through five weeks, um, even when you consider some of the struggles that they had early on. So in terms of things to watch, then, of course, this is Colin Kaepernick's return. This is his First game as a starter in just about a year. How is he going to perform against the defense that is finding its stride after a rocky two-game start? It's it's kind of funny to think about this compared to you know when he was benched last year and when Blaine Gabbert first came on because it, it seemed like they kind of saved Gabbert and saved that transition for a spot that would make Gabbert look pretty good right away. Right, he came in and the first game was against the Falcons, who didn't have a very good defense and. And he looked okay, like it was probably among the better games that he's played in his entire career. So 
Um, you know, kind of got him off to a, a good start there. But I don't know that we're going to see that same scenario play out with Colin Kaepernick. You know, obviously, um, we've seen him play at a higher level than than Blaine Gabbard has before, um, you know, previously in his career. But we don't know what player, like what version of the, of Colin Kaepernick we're going to get right now. And he comes in uh, again against a defense that I, I think is is pretty good. Certainly has a lot of talent. Um, Rex, for all of his faults, uh, is a very good defensive coach. So, you know, it, it's going to be, I think, uh, and I, also on the road, right? So I, I think it's going to be a tough matchup for him. I think when you start looking at some of the things that that Buffalo does well and, and that we're really going to need to see from Colin Kaepernick in this offense if they hope to have a chance at winning this game, I think it starts with, and, and this one seems obvious, and you might be able to kind of bring this up in nearly any game, but I think it's especially important here, and it, it's avoiding turnovers. Um, you know, we've talked the last couple weeks about how there's been kind of either a single big turnover or a series of turnovers that have really uh, helped determine the outcome of those games. You know, against Dallas, it was obviously the the Babbard interception on the deep post to Torrey Smith that could have been a touchdown um, and really could have turned that game. Um, and then last week against Arizona, you had them score 17 points off of three turnovers. And on those three drives, they only had to move the ball 41 yards because they were set up with such great field position. So really has been a big deal there. And then you have this Bills defense that's been generating turnovers uh, at the highest rate in football. So 20% of opposing drives so far this season, one in five, have ended in a turnover. And somehow that's without even getting a single interception off Ryan Fitzpatrick, which doesn't (laughs) make sense to me. Um, So you're, you're looking at a team that... Uh, you know, generates turnovers uh, among the best in football there. So far, the best through five games um, and turnovers have really been something that have hurt the 49ers in recent weeks. So making that transition, I mean, I think that's kind of step one for Colin Kaepernick is avoiding those sort of big turnovers. But this is a team that, sure, they they forced a lot of turnovers. Their two corners, Ronald Darby and Ste- uh, Stefan Gilmore, they played really well last year. They're playing a lot better this year after getting off to kind of a rocky start. They weren't as good as they were last year uh, in the first two games, but they seem to be settling in and finding their stride. And after these first two games, and honestly, even if you include these first two games, you you have a Bills defense that is really, really good in critical situations. They're not only good at forcing turnovers, but they have one of the best red zone defenses in football. They're only allowing 3.94 points per red zone trip, which is third overall. And they're ranked eighth in red zone defense by DVOA. And that's the first against the pass. I guess that's one way maybe where you can kind of tip it towards the Niners uh, and their ability to run in the red zone. But if they do allow a defense or a team an offense to get into the red zone, they generally don't allow them to score. And on third down, this is also a team that's performing really well. Teams are only converting 38% of third or fourth downs against this defense, which is ranked 11th and they're fourth in DVOA on third and fourth down. So if you think about, you know, kind of, all right, the, the team, the offense, and, and specifically Colin Kaepernick needs to avoid turnovers against the defense that's really good at generating turnovers. And they're probably going to be under the gun in terms of critical situations, whether they be the red zone or third down. You're looking at an offense that is already one of the worst in the NFL going up against a defense that is very good at stopping the things that an offense needs to do in order to sustain drives. I think the other notable thing there kind of, uh, you know, especially with Colin Kaepernick. So as we've talked about really at length, if you've listened to the show for, for a while now, Colin Kaepernick, one of the things that he really struggled with in, in his last couple of years as a starter um, was dealing with pressure, right? Kind of working 
um, some of those muddied pockets and, and dealing with bodies around him. Um, so that's been an area that he's really struggled in lately, at least the last time that we've kind of seen him play. Um, the offensive line, I think, generally has been much better this year in pass protection than really anything that he's seen over 2014, 2015. I think the offensive line in those seasons was playing really very poorly, especially when it came to that pass protection. Um, so he'll have that benefit. But the one area that we've really seen the offensive line this season struggle is kind of dealing with different stunts and games and kind of uh, more creative ways to bring pressure up front, right? Um, we saw that uh, uh, quite a bit last week against Arizona. And so now we're playing, you know, a Buffalo defense, again, Rex Ryan coach that we know is going to have those packages. They don't really blitz a ton um, because they do have kind of good individual players and they are able to get pressure by just rushing for a lot of the time. I mean, they have uh, was Lorenzo Alexander, who is uh, has got eight sacks, I believe, this year is leading the league. Um, I think it's uh, seven and a half. I think he's a half sack ahead of Von Miller or something like that. He's or, okay. or maybe he's at eight and Von Miller's at seven and a half. I think either which it, way, if you had Lorenzo Alexander as your sack leader after six games, then you know what? Let's go to Vegas and help me make some bets <laughs> because that's stupid. Right. And he might not even be their best like pure pass rusher, right? They have Jerry Hughes on the other side who's been very good now for a couple of seasons. So they have guys off the edge that can get after the passer. Um, you, know, you have Cal Williams inside who's a very good player. So they can do it by just rushing four, but we know that Rex has those packages, right? We know that he has those kind of creative blitzes uh, up his sleeve. And so when you see maybe a team, you know, if he's turning on that film and he's watching the Arizona game and he sees the way that the 49ers didn't handle some of these stunts and some of these blitz packages very well, uh, especially late in that game, you know, that there's I think there's a reasonable chance that we should expect maybe a, a bit higher blitz rate in this game um, and, and, you know, kind of a bit higher rate of some of those stunts than maybe what they've done through five games so far. Especially if indeed Joshua Garnett starts at that right guard position because this is going to be his first start ever. And he didn't always handle even some initial just tackle and stunts in the fourth quarter very well. He ended up figuring out how to handle him after a snap or two. But if you're looking at someone who's inexperienced, who hasn't seen a lot of these pressure packages live, guess what? You attack that weak point over and over and over again. And if I'm Rex Ryan... That's where I'm sending a lot of my blitz packages. So the next thing to watch, I think, in this game is going to be the performance of the nickel cornerback against our only wide receiver, apparently, uh, and that's Jeremy Curley. Now, his name is, I think, Nickel Roby Coleman. His last name is hyphenated because he knows how, we, how much we love names here on the Better Rivals <laughs> podcast. Uh, but he's a, a nickel cornerback whose first say, name yeah. is Nickel. I mean, no, can we just nickel, call him Nickel Roby? We're, we're going like, to call him Nickel for the purpose. Yeah, let's of call this. him Nickel yep. Roby Coleman. It's it's both a nickname and a mispronunciation in one, which really merges the two things that we love on this show. Uh, so Nickel Roby Coleman versus Jeremy Curley. Incidentally, sorry, I digress here. We have to update the rules for the Better Rivals drinking game, which oh, I yeah. will do so tonight, and we're going to post them because I think we we agreed on the rule for Colin Kaepernick, but. I think I'm going to add a special bonus one. And anytime the announcers say Nickel Roby Coleman, we're going to include a drink because I think that's what we do on this, this show. This is a great name. Um, we might just call him NRC for short. You know, if we don't want to offend him, like it. mispronounce his name, we'll just go NRC. Um, so, yeah, I think there's, you know, usually I feel like with these kind of individual player matchups that we go with that are interesting, a lot of it tends to focus more on, uh, you know, with the 49ers defense, right? Just because 
well, there's not much in the way of interesting things happening offensively for them. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of great talent that the 49ers have at the skill positions, so you don't tend to see like a lot of interesting matchups there. Um, this one, I think, is is probably going to be one of the, the things that I actually watch and, and pay a good amount of attention to, though, in this one, because Curley has really been the only bright spot. I mean, he's probably been the best 49ers offensive player not named Joe Staley so far this year. Um, and has really been the only thing to go to in the passing game this season. So you have him who's very clearly kind of their number one option. It will be interesting to see as a little side note, though, whether Colin Kaepernick continues to go to him. I think he has kind of there's going to be some opportunities just because of the the system and the spot that Curly's playing. And I think there are a lot of uh, concepts that they have that are kind of designed to get that guy open, right, and have him kind of be one of the primary players in the concept. So He'll have that certainly going for him still. But Colin Kaepernick, you know, historically, I guess, has been a guy that likes to throw more outside the numbers than than in the middle of the field or at least has more success doing so. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that kind of continues with him. But even even with that, you know, you have who's somebody who's very clearly kind of the best option in the passing game right now. Um, and then you're going against a guy that has been very, very good in the slot this year. I mean, he's coming off his best game last week against the Rams. Uh, was only targeted three times, didn't allow a completion, and managed to pick off two of those three passes. You know, Case Keenum, sure, but uh, still an impressive game. And, and even when you look at his work over the course of the the full five games so far, um, he's only allowing a reception once every 21 cover snaps in the slot, which is second. Uh, and he's allowing just 0.7 yards per cover snap. Um, so under a yard, under three quarters of a yard, uh, each time that he goes out there and, and is kind of defending the guy in the slot, uh, which is the fifth best rate. So he's been very good on the whole, coming off a very impressive performance. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how Curly uh, handles that sort of competition. So our third thing to watch then is going to be all about defense. If the number one thing to watch was going to be Cap's performance against the defense that's really finding its stride, and number two is going to be Nickel Roby Coleman, uh, I guess Nickel, don't call me Nickel Roby Coleman, uh, versus Jeremy Curley, then the third is going to be a critical situation to watch, and that's going to be the 49ers red zone defense. You've got a red zone defense now with the 49ers that through five weeks is the 25th ranked red zone defense by DVOA. They allow 5.35 points per red zone trip. Uh, Just as a point of comparison, remember the Bills are allowing 3.94 points per red zone trip. So you're looking at like, you know, a point and some change difference, and that's what differentiates Uh, one of the top defenses, and one of the worst. But the Bills red zone offense currently ranks fourth by DVOA. And honestly, a lot of this has to do with Tyrod Taylor's legs and Shady McCoy being able to absolutely just juke people out of their socks. Shady McCoy is a player that was kind of, you know, after he was cast off from Philadelphia, he was banged up. And running backs that are his age generally don't bounce back and be like, oh, you know what? I'm back, and I'm back to my pre-injury form. Uh, At least running backs not named Frank Gore, uh, who wasn't really injured late in his career. He was injured a little earlier. But this is a team that has offensive weapons, especially in the run game, to be able to score, and the numbers bear that out. So this is definitely a situation to watch. Can the defense, who hasn't been able to stop anyone on the ground to to date, are they going to be able to stop the bills when they get into the red zone yeah and i think the pass defense is really kind of the spot to watch there too at least at least for me i mean we've talked a lot about the run defense and i think overall that's certainly been 
the larger problem for this 49ers defense. But in the red zone specifically, you know, you mentioned, okay, Bills are, in, are fourth in DVOA uh, in red zone offense, 49ers 25th red zone defense. That gap widens when you focus just on the passing game. So uh, the Bills actually have the best red zone pass offense so far, and the 49ers dropped to 31st um, in pass defense in the red zone. So a uh, really wide gap there. And you look at Tyrod, I mean, you mentioned, and I, I think you're, you're spot on there in terms of what makes him... Uh, kind of so effective in this area. I mean, the numbers are very good. 7-11, 65 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. Uh, and all but one of those completions have resulted in either a first down or a touchdown. Um, and he's kind of spreading it around, too. They haven't really shown a lot of tendencies in this area. I mean, uh, of the 11 attempts that he's had, they've gone to eight different receivers. Um, I think Clay and Woods are the only two guys to have multiple targets uh, in, in that group. Um, and they seem to kind of go, I went back, I mean, it's obviously not a large sample that we're working with there with just 11 throws, um, and went and kind of watched to see if there was anything specific that they seemed to go to schematically in those situations that they were having success with. And they, they seem to kind of just build a package each week, right? It's something a little bit different. So one week they were, they were really trips heavy. Um, the next week that I watched, you know, they went empty pretty much every time they were in there. Last week against the Rams, they went to more two tight end stuff and 12 personnel um, pretty heavily in the red zone. So they seem to kind of mix it up. It's not one specific approach, but I think the the kind of one semi-consistent theme there is what you mentioned about Tyrod. And in the red zone, you know, it's things get a lot harder for quarterbacks because you have that confined space, right? The, the throwing windows are smaller. You have to really be you, you, the, the processing of information has to speed up a little bit. Um, but with Tyrod, if that's not there right away, right, if it's not there in the design of the play, he's able to kind of create and he does a very good job once he's moving around outside the pocket, throws very well on the run. And so he can kind of make those things happen where, you know, there was one play where uh, I think, I think it was against the Rams, uh, where they dropped eight into coverage and they just kind of blanketed, you know, that area right short of the goal line to about five yards deep in the end zone. And he just kind of bounced around, ran around to one side, kind of drew a couple of those guys up and then threw a touchdown pass in the corner of the end zone. And they only had two guys in the route. So it's just those sort of things that he can do when the play is really breaking down uh, that kind of make them dangerous in this area. Yeah, so ultimately, I think this is, you know, if you were going to circle this game at the beginning of the year and be like, oh, you know what, that's a winnable game. Rex's defense wasn't all that great last year. Greg Roman, uh, we know what he brings to the table. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a Rex Ryan defense that's damn good, and you've got an Anthony Lynn that is basically saying, you know what, we're going to put this team on Shady McCoy's shoulders, and Shady McCoy is responding. And I don't know that the outcome is going to be all that good for the 49ers. So I think, David, let's, take, let's go on to the predictions. So far this year, you are 4-1 and one and 0-5 and against the spread. You went with the Niners last week. I told Mistake. you. You shouldn't have gone that way, bro. Shouldn't have done it. <laughs> Uh, I am now officially five and zero and one and four against the spread. I'm going to maintain a one game lead all year. I think is really what's going to happen. Um, I mean, you but, got there's got to be some games, right? Like you had it, it's. I think if you're being if you're playing the odds, right, the four ers are going to be underdogs in every single game. Like the chances of them winning aren't going to be above fifty percent going into any of these games. But they're also not going to finish one and fifteen. At least I don't think. So well, they're going to win some of those there's games. There's still time. And like, it just felt like, okay, Drew Stanton, that's a good At one home. to go ahead and pick out, right? Like, I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, I mean, Bills are favored by eight in this one. 
um, 538, who, which I, I kind of want to start including. We haven't, uh, I don't think, mentioned this in any of the games before, but 538 does their uh, kind of win probability leading up to the game. Um, and so they have actually, the Bills have an 81% win probability going into it, which is the highest of any game in this uh, this sl- slate this week. So I'm I'm not sure how I feel about this win probability because I still have to sit and ponder. Um, like I have to take a really big, like I have to take a really long dump and and just think about ELO, which is what they build their modeling, their percentage wins off of. Um, and ELO is is a number, a, a stat that they use that basically like a team at the beginning of its history starts with an average rating and then every year it kind of goes up and down. So it takes the previous year's rating or ranking and where they ended into the future year's account, which I think is really interesting. But I still, again, I need to really sit and think about it. So I'm not sure how I feel about this 538 thing, but I think yeah. we should definitely include it because I do respect that site and what they right. do just in terms of numbers and, and data journalism in general. So, um, all right, David, what's your prediction? Uh, you uh, You went with, an upset over the Drew Stanton-led uh, birds. What's going to happen here against the Buffalo Bills? Yeah, I don't think it's going to work out quite so well. Nope. Um, is is what I had hoped to to happen last week. I mean, I think you know we've seen not only this this defense has really started struggling kind of in general in some areas. You know, I don't think it's been quite that bad. They they just haven't been consistent, right? They seem to have one or two drives every game that you know, just where things kind of fall apart and they have some some mistakes that really, really end up hurting them and, and kind of giving up some big plays. And then you compound that with not being set up in some of the best situations because of the offense. Um, but, you know, I, they haven't traveled well. We've seen this now for over a season. Um, they've been really, really bad on the road. Um, and I think we kind of have to assume that's going to be the case, especially with the guys that they're missing, you know, the, the players that they're down right now um, defensively. So... I, I think that the Bills are going to win probably pretty big. I'm actually going to take the Bills to cover that that eight-point spread. I mean, it's a fairly big spread, um, but I think the, this is a double-digit win for them. I think you're probably looking somewhere around like 31 to 13, 17. Well, let's go 17. Let's go 17. 31-17, I think, is uh, somewhere around there makes sense. Maybe you get a late you know, 31-20, something in that ballpark. Yeah, I, I think I, I absolutely agree. I think the they do cover. Uh, I think this is just a Bills team that matches up really well against the 49ers. What they do well on offense is what the 49ers can't seem to stop. And on defense, they're, you don't have to be a spectacular to stop and flummox the 49ers offense. And yes, you, you could see a little bit of a lift with Colin Kaepernick. But I still think that you look at their two interior linebackers, the two Browns, which we didn't even really talk about. We were talking about them pre-show. Um, but both of those interior linebackers are just really good. And they're both named Brown, and they're 52 and 53, which kind of hurts my soul a little bit on the inside. Um, but these are two really good interior linebackers. And, and so I think all in all, you've got a team that matches up really well against the 49ers. Even with Colin Kaepernick in there, I still don't think that this is a game the 49ers can win. I do think the Bills win. I think they cover. The last two weeks, they've ended up with like really weird scores. They had they had 31 week, 33 the next week or something like that. So I'm going to predict another really odd score. Um, I think the 49ers score somewhere near 17. 
Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and call the Browns at having like 32 or something like that, or 33 with like a safety in there or something stupid. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. Uh, I think them topping 30 or getting right to that mark um, makes sense, I, especially if, I mean, Jimmy Ward for sure doesn't look like he's going to play. He's still not practicing. I think uh, Buckner, is Buckner, are we expecting Buckner back at this point? I haven't really seen It was seen a really weird tweet. Um, so Chris Biederman tweeted that, that Buckner was practicing. He was back at practice, and I think he's listed on the practice participation as limited. Um, and he said, had a noticeable limp. Now, the way that he wrote sign. the tweet, I don't know if he meant that he used to have a noticeable limp, and now he's back at practice two weeks later, or he had a noticeable limp at practice. So I, I don't know exactly what he means. Maybe I'll tweet him and ask him, but... All we know is that Buckner is looking like he's in line to play, but probably still dealing with injury. And that's rough, right? Like having him and Armstead, who are supposed to be kind of, uh, you know, the, the fulcrum of this this defense here and two of your better players, uh, even if they're in the lineup, I mean, pretty clearly not going to be 100%. That, that's rough against, a, you know, a team with a pretty good offensive line, a really good run game. that's going to go out there and look to kind of just beat them up a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't, I think this is a, like you meant a bad matchup for them. Um, there will be better days for this offense. I think in this team in general, in the coming weeks when the schedule should get a little bit easier, at least at, at points starting next week, I believe is when it starts to ease up. Yeah. I think bit. Tampa Bay is next week, right? So yep. yeah, that'll be, that should be pretty good. Are you a little sad that Greg Roman's not going to be the offensive coordinator for the bills? A l- definitely a little bit. Yeah, it would have been, uh, kind of funny to to just get to see that and to get to see all of the four i think the most entertaining part like really nothing about the game i don't know that much would have changed there but getting to see all of the 49ers people on twitter um just have bitter comments about greg roman would have been really entertaining to me oh i absolutely agree uh i'm i am a little sad especially because i think greg roman is a good offensive coordinator especially in the run game but you know anthony lynn is uh, is reaping the the run game rewards Uh, So this is uh, the end of this week's show. Thanks again to all of you who have subscribed on iTunes and who have left us reviews. Uh, We're also on TuneIn, which I learned this week means that people can play it via their Sonos system wirelessly. So if you have a Sonos system, uh, search for us on TuneIn. You search for the Better Rivals podcast, and we should be right there. You can play us wirelessly in all of your rooms. Listen to us while you're pooping. I swear it makes the show better. We're also on Stitcher Radio. Uh, And thanks again to the Barbary Sound, who made this amazing outro music that you're listening to right this second. And our call to action this week, recommended by a listener on Twitter. Big ups for hashtag Fromance. Because, David Newman, you love Colin Kaepernick's fro. You do. You want to let your soul glow. I just kind of want to take a nap on it, you know, just lay my head on it. (laughs) Uh, It'd probably be really soft, I'm sure. Like, it's just, it's an excellent fro. Uh, It's really good. You um, want to take a nap on it. Oh, my God. It's 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 a nappy fro. Would you say it's a nappy fro? Hey, no, not going there. No, just saying that it looks like a big pillow, you know? Oh, my dear Jesus. Oh, sweet baby Jesus. Yes, it is indeed a fro-mans. It is a glorious fro, though. It I hope it never goes away. I don't want him to fro. ever cut it. Like, Well, do you think that he's going to cornrow it? No, he better not. Let it get yeah. out. Like, we got to see, right? Like, what happens to the helmet? Does he... Is there just so much pressure in there? The first time he gets hit, it just kind of like pops off into the air. Like, 
<laughs> what happens? There's a lot of questions that we have here, uh, and I don't know any of the answers, and we need to start getting some of those this week. I don't know either, but uh, you know, we will have those. We will have an updated Better Rivals drinking game here very soon. I'm probably going to post it just ahead of the weekend uh, so that we can get some updated rules for the game against Buffalo, including uh, Nickel Roby Coleman, which just rolls off the tongue. Just rolls Just off the rolls tongue. Right off. Indeed. That's so, how I describe that thanks name. again for tuning in this week. Thanks again to everyone who left a review on iTunes. And as always, go Niners. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>